So Rebecca Courtney. Well, like Doug says, I, um, I do like to be silly and I do like to jump around. So the few of you in, out here that I don't know, um, yeah, I like to be silly and I like to talk a lot. So if you could see the notes that I have on these papers and how they're all like scratched out with things on the side, because they really tried to plan out what I wanted to say to you guys today because I, because I am an extrovert and I am comfortable talking to people and I didn't want to just get up here and ramble for you guys. Um, and as Doug said, I'm going into my third, um, my second term, my, my second three years of being an elder at Bay Marin, and uh, I'm going to focus on faith community and what that looks like for us and what it looks like for us to love each other as Christian brothers and sisters. And so a little bit of what I want to talk about today is, is kind of that, is um, how to at the church that we used to go to, we used to say um, uh, we were learning to live and love like Jesus. And I think our faith communities are an outlet for us to um, do that and to work together to become people who live and love like Jesus. And when Matt asked me to preach um, a, a while ago, he asked me to preach. He didn't give me any boundaries or any restrictions. He didn't give me a passage or a topic to talk about. And so I started paying attention to my own life um, to try to figure out what I wanted to say to you guys. Because I don't know about you, but um, the things that I learn most deeply are they just come about from things that happen in my life and from me paying attention to the Holy Spirit and listening to what he's, what he's telling me and what he's teaching me and what he's showing me. So um, I looked around my, my life and I was reading this book at the time by Barbara Brown Taylor and she's kind of big right now. Like a lot of people know her name, but 20 years ago, nobody knew who she was. She's an Episcopalian priest. Um, I think she lives in Georgia, but she lives somewhere in the South. I'm from Mississippi, so I love those Southern people. And I was reading this book called uh, Bread Among Angels. And, you know, like I say, it was published like 20 years ago. And when I, when I read this one section, she had this section on King David. And when I read it, it made so much sense to me that it kind of changed my life for the last few months. And then the next day I was somewhere doing something and I had this situation and it applied so directly to what I had read in the book by Barbara Brown Taylor that I felt like God said, hey, Rebecca, this is, this is what I want you to bring to your church, bring to your community, bring to your people. Because I do feel like you guys are my people. And I say that all the time. That's like super common for you guys to hear that. You're my people. Um, my, my actual people live in Mississippi and um, they're my family and I love them, but you guys are the people that I've chosen to live my life with. And so I felt like God was saying, you know, bring this, bring this to your church community and um, let's look at how to live and love like Jesus. So today, what I'd like to do is share with you a story from the Bible. 
and um, kind of talk about how that applies to our life a little bit. And hopefully, during the telling of that story and the hearing of that story, we will all be able to um, love God a little bit more and love our neighbor a little bit more and maybe even learn to receive the love of God a little more, um, receive the love of our neighbor a little bit more. So uh, I also, we, when we were at that church in the city, we had another pastor. Her name was Debbie um, Bellingham. And, and whenever Debbie would speak, she would say, I'm not a speaker. And she would get nervous. And, and she would have like people planted in the um, audience congregation, in the congregation. And, and she would tell them, if you see me starting to get like a little flustered or if you see me like lose my space, you know, she'd be like, pray for me that God would say what he wants to say through me. And I, uh, I kind of struggled coming up here because I love to talk and I love to be in front of people and, and it's fun to me. But I also really wanted to be aware of what God has to, to say to us today. And so um, I listened to Jean Marie's uh, the podcast that she spoke of. I wasn't here last week, but I listened to what she said. And she had talked about just getting back from Zambia. Was it Zambia that she had just gotten back from? So she said, there will be pauses. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should, you know, there, there might be pauses <clears throat> today with me. Um, but know that I personally have asked God to put <clears throat> a filter between me and you. And um I'm asking God, and I believe he's faithful, I'm asking him that if I say anything that he doesn't want you to say, that he'll just filter it out and you won't hear it, um, and that you'll hear exactly what he has uh, to say to you today. So we're going to talk about King David, and I'll say this other thing is that when I started, I read the story of King David, and there are so many pieces and parts to the story, and I got super geeked out on the theology and the history, and I went down this road, and went down that road, and I basically came back, and I got super stressed out because I was like, this is a book. This is not one single talk. Thank you. I'm like, this is a whole, this is a giant book that I could write. And so, um, here, question, I'll take a drink first. So I, um, so I kind of had to like come back, come back and be like, okay, God, like, you know, treat me like the perfect parent and pat me on the back and tell me to say what I have to say. And so here I am. But in saying that, there are three things that I want to say today. And the first one is this, and I want you to hear me loud and clear. And I see there are a few people in here that I don't know yet. Um, so welcome. And you don't know our pastor, Matt, yet, but hopefully you'll come back and meet him. He's delightful. The first thing that I want to say to you people that are my people, we need to be praying for that man. And if we're not praying for that man religiously, we need to start. And those prayers need to have feet. Because when you start preparing for something to say to people, like you have that realization that you guys might actually listen to what I say. Like you might base a few moves in your life on what I say. And that's huge, especially for an extrovert who just like talk. Like I just, I love to talk and I talk a lot. And you know, coming back to that realization of my words matter today. And Matt does that every week. And I believe that Matt is super faithful to the spirit. I believe that he listens to God. Um, he's faithful to do his studying. He does his research. 
And that's his job. I mean, that's what we pay him to do. We pay him basically to shepherd us and, and do that work. But it's a lot of work and it's a big responsibility. And on top of that, he has meetings to do. He does some administrative stuff. He like goes and visits people that are sick. Like he has so many hats and he's pulled in so many directions and he's got four kids and he's got a wife and a family to take care of. And so the first thing that I want you guys to hear me say is, Start praying for him if you're not already praying for him. And, and I said, you know, I want those prayers to have feet. You know, it might be that one day you're praying for him and you're like, dude, I should, I should reach out to him. Like, call him up. Is there anything that you're doing that I can take off of your plate? Can I help you out today? Or call him up and say, hey, you know, I've got this gift certificate for this restaurant. I'll come keep your kids. Do you and Jenna want to go out and have a, you know, a date like, you know, grown up people sometimes do? So that's my first thing. Remember to pray for your pastor because he loves you and this is a very demanding job that he's doing. And then um, my second thing I'll get to in a minute, but let's, let's pray before I talk anymore. Father, you are a God of abundance and you are a God of grace. And I praise you that we are your children, that you don't call us stepchildren. You don't call us adopted children. We are your children. And I thank you and I praise you for that. I praise you for this family that we are all in together. And I pray that you will help us walk this life together and learn to love you more and learn to live out your word. Amen. So we're going to start with Matthew 22. We're going to read 37. Well, yeah, we're going to read Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And I didn't do any slides or anything. I'm old school. The, um, the technology, I don't, I don't do technology. So uh, Matthew 22. Um, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, he being Jesus, they came together in the same place. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. I don't know about you, but um, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. That makes these commandments sound pretty, pretty important to me. Um, and I'm thinking that maybe if we learn to love God with all our soul and all our heart and all our mind, and if we learn to love our neighbor as ourself, then maybe the worries that we have during the day and the concerns that we have um, in our lives might not be all consuming for us. That they might still be concerns, we might still have worries, but they might not rule our life so much. Um, because if you're like me, I, I get on these tangents where I just kind of get sidetracked and I forget that God is the God of the universe and that he knows my name and I'm his daughter. And I get spun out and worried about things. And so I'd like to explore today what it means <clears throat> to love God and uh, love our neighbor. And 
I want to explore that through a story of King David from the Old Testament. Um, David was a hero. He was, he was a Renaissance man before that even existed. He was artistic. He was a musician. He wrote songs. Um, he was handsome and he was strong. He was passionate. He had vision. He was driven. And uh, the most important thing to me about David uh, was that he was a man after God's own heart. And in fact, in, in 1 Kings, in Kings they have this section where they like describe all the kings. And in 1 Kings 15, uh, 1 Kings 15, 5, this is, <clears throat> this is how it describes David. It says, David did what was right in the Lord's eyes, and he did not turn aside from anything he had commanded him all the days of his life. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big statement, right? But then there's more. It says, uh, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. When I die, I want my tombstone to say, Rebecca, Rebecca did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, like overall, you know, I have my moments where I'm not exactly doing what I'm supposed to do, but like overall, I want, I want people to remember Rebecca did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's what David, that's what God, you know, they, that's what they were saying about David. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but there was this huge stain in his life, this major blip that happened. And it's recorded in 2 Samuel 11. I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but basically what happens is through a sequence of events, starting out with David not being where he was supposed to, David said, I'm not going to work today. And this secret sequence of events happened and it sent David down a path that was not the path God would have for him. Uh, Basically, the troops were off to war. David stayed home, and typically kings went with um, their troops when they went off to war, and David stayed at home. And one evening, he gets up from his bed, and he goes and takes a stroll on the roof of the palace. He sees this woman bathing, and she's beautiful, and um, he gets his, his, his people, and he's like, go, go find out who that is. Go, go see who that is. And... Um, they do. They go find out who she is, and he summons her to him, and he sleeps with her, even though he knows that she is Bathsheba, she is married to Uriah. Uriah is a warrior in his army, and Uriah is out doing what he's supposed to be doing right now. And so uh, the story continues. So David brings her, sleeps with her, and then the story continues when Bathsheba sends word that she's pregnant. And so David, at this moment, could say, oh, Jiminy Crickets, I messed up, right? I mean, he, he could be like, I did not do the right thing and fess up. But he's not there yet. He, like I do many times, starts trying to self-protect. He tries to hide what he's done. So he calls for Uriah from the battlefield and, you know, and says to Uriah, hey, how's the battle going? Which, you know, I'm sure Uriah was like, what are you, what are you doing here? But um, and so David's hope is he's going to get Uriah home. Uriah's going to go to his wife and they'll think the baby was Uriah's. But Uriah is a super stand-up guy and Uriah sleeps at the gate of the palace. So the next day David's like, what are you doing? Why didn't you go home to your wife? And Uriah's like, I... I took an oath, like, 
I don't go home to my comfortable bed, to my beautiful wife, while I'm supposed to be in battle and all of my fellow troops are out sleeping in a field somewhere. That's not what I do. The second time David even got him sloshed, got him drunk and sent him home and he still didn't do what David wanted him to do. So David still like has this big thing to, you know, like hide at this point. And so David goes a step farther and writes a letter and sends it with Uriah. I'm like, come on, David. He sends it with Uriah to the commander of the army, to Joab. And the letter basically says, put Uriah in the very hottest of the battle, put him on the front, and draw away from him. And so um, that's, what, that's what happens to Uriah, and Uriah gets killed in the battle. Um, at this point in the story, you, you, I became a Christian when I was eight, so I've had 36, how old am I, 38 years, 38 years of walking with Christ. I mean, I've been a Christian 38 years, and so I've read these stories a lot, and so when I read this story, I know the end of the story, I know what happens, so when I read it, I can just read it and not have a lot of emotion, but when I stop and think about it, I get outraged at David and his complete misuse of power. Like, not only is he going in and just taking what he wants, but he has this complete disregard for, you know, God who's given him this kingdom in the first place. And I, oh, I just get so mad. I just want to be like, David, you're such an idiot. What are you doing? Like, come on, man. Um, I, ah, oh, I get so mad at him. So, Anyway, so the story continues. Uriah goes, he's killed. David marries Bathsheba. He has a son. Oh, I get so mad. I just, oh, I get so mad. You know what I want at this point in the story? I want David to be punished because I don't think it's okay for him to abuse his power that way. And I want him punished. I want him in trouble. He deserves to be punished. He's broken three of the Ten Commandments. Don't covet, don't commit adultery, don't kill. Like, he deserves punishment. He deserves death, actually. And actually, at the end of um, 2 Samuel 11, the last verse in that chapter says, uh, however, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. So, like, God's not on, like, some sideline here. God's right in this story with us, and he is displeased with David. He's actually full of grief for what David's doing for David's actions. Um, I've never had anybody killed or slept with anybody's husband, but I know that I've done things in my own life that's grieved God. Um, and although it breaks my heart, it's also a comfort to know that God loves me enough to be grieved. Um, and God loved David. And this is the brilliance of the story. This is that Barbara Brown Taylor book that I was talking about. This is the part of the story that's, um, that's totally life-changing to me, is that instead of like fire and brimstone for David right now, God sends him Nathan. And Nathan's a prophet. And Nathan and David have this relationship. Um, and so God sends Nathan to David, and David, no, Nathan tells David a story. And I'm going to read you the story, because I'm a first grade teacher, and first grade teachers like stories. I tell stories a lot during my day in the school year. 
So, um, 2 Samuel 12 says, So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said to him, So there were these two men in a certain city. One was rich, and the other one was poor. And the rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except for one small ewe lamb that he had bought. The ewe lamb lived with him, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his meager food. It drank from his cup. It slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man couldn't even bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler. So instead, he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for his guest. So this is the story that Nathan tells to the king. Um, and in this Barbara Brown Taylor book that was so life-changing to me, she, she asks the question, why did Nathan take such an indirect route? Why the story? Um, and, and she proposes that David took this indirect route because he'd actually not come to condemn David. That wasn't the purpose of him coming to David. It would have been easy enough to condemn David. I mean, David was obviously wrong, but that was not what Nathan was doing. And, and I would propose that Nathan was probably pretty outraged at David also, but Nathan had to contain his own anger. He had to control himself and remember why he had come to David. He didn't come to demolish David. He came to bring David back into relationship with God. And that's what grabbed my heart. Um, and is, is because uh, I want David punished. But I didn't have any thought of restoration and what maybe God wanted for David's life. I want to condemn David. I, I still, I still do. I still have a hard time with it because I'm like, I get all head shaky because I'm like, you were wrong. That was not okay. And I'm right. He was wrong and it was not okay. But Nathan didn't go into David to condemn David. He went to restore David. Um, and I think about the story and I'm like, if Nathan wouldn't have restored David, then we wouldn't have had Solomon and we wouldn't have had this line where eventually we get Jesus. You know, like there's a possibility that if Nathan would have like condemned David, that David would have just kept on going on the rails of self-destruction that he was on. Um, so in the story, in the Bible, David hears this story and he's outraged. He's like, that guy should die. How dare he do this? And Nathan looks at him and says, hey, you are the man. You're the man, David. And then Nathan goes on to say, God has done this for you. He's given you this kingdom. He turned over this to you. He would have done more for you if you had asked. And this is how you repay him. And so... Um, Nathan basically holds a mirror up to David so David can see his true self because David's true self 
is the self that seeks after God's heart. David's true self is God's child. And so David, although, I mean, he, he does have consequences to what he's done. It's not like you did this bad thing and everybody's hunky-dory. He has consequences, but he also has a true humility and he, he repents and he's like, oh, I've been so stupid. And he comes back to God and is in a place again where God can, can use him. And I think about it in my own life, I think, you know, do I want to punish people and point out how they're wrong? Or do I want people to be in a space where God can use them? Right after I read this idea of Barbara Brown Taylor's of like the restoration instead of condemnation, I was working on a Sunday. And I know I'm not supposed to work on a Sunday because I'm supposed to take a Sabbath. And I know that taking a Sabbath is good for me. Like God blessed me with Sabbath so that I could reorient to him and I could um, remind myself or be reminded of who I am in my true nature. Because without a Sabbath, I, I burn my candle at both ends. And in fact, last yesterday I was catering. I got home like at one o'clock in the morning and I was like, oh man, burning the candles at both ends. And um, so I know I need a Sabbath. So I wasn't going to get to come to church with you guys because I had to be at work at 10. So I went to this other church and I was met at the door by this guy. And he was like, oh my gosh, hey, Rebecca, like, why are you here? I'm so excited. And I told him this story of, yeah, like, I'm working this job today. And he, his whole demeanor changed. And he looked at me and he said, you know you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And I... I had many emotions, you know, none of which I would, I love to admit, but, uh, you know, like, I, I'm like, dude, what do you, I totally got so defensive and angry, and, you know, as I think about it, I'm like, he's right, I'm not, I know that, I know my heart is not a heart that works on the side, I know I need rest, I need, no, I need reorientation, but his judgment just shamed me. His judgment did what I want to do to David. It, is, it, it condemned me. But it didn't bring me back into a place where I was back in right relationship with God. So I think we know that we're not supposed to do that. As a church community, we know that we don't, we're not supposed to condemn people, even though I think we do all the time. But we know we're not supposed to. But the other, the flip side of that that I want to point out also is if he would have just said, oh, that would not have necessarily brought me back into relationship with God either. I feel like as Christians, we have this pendulum swing and on one side of it, we're policing people and we're telling them what they have to do and we're protecting God and protecting God's word, you know, over here. And on the other side of that, we're doing this thing where we're stepping back and we're like, well, I'm not going to get involved with that because it's not my problem and God's going to be the judge of that. And I don't think either one of those things is helpful to us to learn how to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and helpful to us to learn how to love our neighbor. What, what Nathan did for David was he held up this mirror and uh, he gave David a chance to see where he was and admit what he was doing. Um, 
He helped remind David of who he was, really, and where his loyalties are, where his loyalties lie. Uh, Jean Marie last week called it his spiritual DNA. Um, it reminded him to get back on that path, that path of, of loving God and um, yeah, Jean Marie also, you know, she talked about Solomon last week and how um, Solomon wanted this threshing floor and somebody was just going to be like, here, just, let me, just have it. And he was like, no, 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 I need to pay for it. And I can't help but think, like, was this a lesson that David maybe passed on to his son was, um, we're not going to abuse our power? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, okay, so you guys have had enough of me talking today, but I want to leave you with a couple of things. So my first thing was pray for Matt. My second thing is I really want you to look at your life, and I want you to just notice where, where you're judging people or where you land on that pendulum. Are you judging people all the time? Are you over here saying, not my problem, I don't care? Not even I don't care, but like not my problem, I'm not going to get involved. Where are you on that? And um, I don't know, like seriously, it's hard not to judge people and it's hard to be judged. It's hard to see truth. But that guy judged me on that Sunday. And I gotta tell you, like it slapped me in the face a little bit because he judged me and I automatically went to, how dare you crusty old white man? Like, you can judge me like that. You know, and I got really, I got really frustrated with him. And I, there was nothing in me that wanted his good. There was nothing, and this is such a small thing, you know, like this is not killing people or anything, it's such a small thing, but there was nothing in my spirit that stopped and said, what can I do that is for your good? Can I ask any questions? Can I discover like what's going on with you? Like what would it seek? What would it look like to seek his good in that moment of him judging me? 38 years, people. Been a Christian 38 years, still a fledgling new to flight. <laughs> you know, like what would it look like? What if when we encounter people, instead of demolishing them, what if we like looked at like what would it look like if I it, to, to usher you back into God? And in that same thing, like when you notice yourself judging somebody, try to flip yourself. I, I, do you know like if you go when you're driving, you, you have those roundabouts every once in a while and there's that yellow sign with the arrows that go like this to tell you that the roundabout's coming? This is how I feel when I, when I started this practice of just noticing where I judge people and trying to want their good. Like, and so I, I started this like a month ago and I feel like I'm one of those roundabout signs where I'm like, oh, judgment, nope, can't judge. Nope, judgment, nope, can't judge. <laughs> I'm like going around and around in circles because I judge people all the time. This morning I was doing my little yoga online and the little girl at the end was like, okay, everybody, I love you. And I was like, you don't love me. You don't know me. How can you love me? And then I'm like, oh, am I wanting her good? Like, no, why can't I, why can't I say, wow, you, your heart is loving toward other people, you know, like why must I judge? And so all of that, just notice where you're judging um, and, and try to think in your brain, what would it look like if I were wanting this other person's good? 
you know. You guys remember when Matt was preaching and he talked about when you encounter someone, when you interface with somebody, if you first think image of God, before you say anything, you think anything, you do anything, if you think image of God to that person and just notice how it changes your interactions with people. So I want you guys just to notice where you are on the judgment scale and then just just kind of try to follow it up with what would it look like to want this person's good? And then the second thing that I really think is important for us as Christian people, I want you to look at your life and take inventory of your Nathans. Because I have a feeling that if Joab would have gone to David and said, look, dude, this is not right, then David would not have listened to Joab. But Nathan and David had this relationship where it was a trusted relationship. So... If you don't have people in your life that you trust to hold a mirror up to you, I'm gonna propose that maybe that's an area of deficiency if you don't have that. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure that we walk this world together. We're not, we're not meant to do it all on our own and iron sharpens iron. Um, I feel like if we don't have people in our lives that we've given permission to, to speak truth into our lives, then we're just going to keep on being the same as we are. And 10 years down the road, where's our transformation going to be? Um, and I, in my life, it's, it's really important. Uh, my faith group, my faith group has permission to speak truth into my life. And sometimes that truth is, wow, Rebecca, I see that you're doing this stuff at Gilead House and you're taking care of these homeless moms. Your heart is really in a good spot, it looks like. And sometimes that truth looks like, wow, Rebecca, you've taken on 15 projects that are all good, but it looks like you, you're exhausted and you don't have time to sleep or like speak to anybody. Are you trying to get approval through good works? You know, like, not... not you're doing the wrong thing. Like, not judgment, but, but truth, you know? Like, let's hold that mirror up and let's question your motives. And let's, I used to have a pastor friend, he used to say, when you're driving along your life and you're on the path that God has for you, like, if you get off the path, right? If you make some detour and you get off the path that God has for you, you don't have to restart at the starting line. All you got to do is drive back on the path and keep going. And we have a gracious God that, you know, we might have consequences if we do stupid stuff in our lives, but we, we have a gracious God who wants relationship with us, and he wants us um, to be on this, on this path of loving him. And it's not, always, it's not always easy to not judge, and it's not always easy to intend someone else's good, but I will propose that it's better. It might not be easier, but it's better and I will also say that it's not always easy to hear truth. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be dealing with the same stuff in 10 years. I at least want to be dealing with different stuff. You know, like I want, I want transformation in my life. Um, and I don't think that we're beyond, tra- I, I believe that we are a people who are being transformed. And I believe that with all my heart because God said that we are. And God gave us Jesus. Um, God sent us 
his very own son so that we could live in this world uh, a life that's pleasing to God. And that life that's pleasing to God is, that, is a better life for us. And y- you, can, you can test it and see. Um, you can test it and see that when you want other people's good and when you take care of others and when you are filtering what you do through the love of God, Life is better, and it might not be the world sense of better, um, but it's but it's better. It's good. So, thanks for letting me come and talk to you guys. Uh, I used to have a professor in college, and he would he would teach. I would have these other professors, and they would teach, and I have like copious notes, pages, bulleted and highlighted. You know, like fifteen pages of notes. And then I had this other professor who would. He would teach, and he would meander, and he would just talk, and I would look down and have like three lines on the paper after three hours of listening to him. But his words always stuck in my head throughout the week, and I always, like, situations would happen, and and I would revisit what he said. Um, And so I kind of hope that that's what I did to you guys today. I hope that next week, I, I really do hope that you don't just leave this place and walk out into the beautiful sunshine and go have a hike. Um, I hope that you leave this place and you really do look at yourself and, and know that I'm not advocating that we police people, but that I'm advocating that we're in this together and um, we're, we're going to grow when we are truthful with each other and we have people that we trust to tell us good and bad and ugly. So we are about to take communion and we, at, the church, at our church in the city that we used to go to, we had communion every week like we do here. And um, when we changed to communion every week here, because we didn't used to do that, I was a big proponent of it because communion is my favorite part of the service. I think communion is the most important part of the service. And this is why I think that. I think that we come in, we might be a little scattered, we've had a day, we get settled in, we do some amazing worship, we get our eyes focused on God, we hear a little teaching, and then this is the part of the service that reminds us that the reason we can be transformed, the reason we can be strong, the reason we can love our neighbor is because God sustains us, and that Jesus Christ gave his very own body and his blood to sustain our lives and to transform us and to work our salvation in us. And so this is our reminder that um, we're not alone. We have each other and we have the God of the universe and he wants our good. So um, I'm going to pray in a moment. And when I do, I'm going to invite the people who are doing, who are serving our community and our musicians to come back up and um, and it's my joy to invite you to come and have communion with us, like eat this bread and this um, wine, eat this body and this blood with us, and know that uh, God is filling you up, and now you're going to go back into the world, and you're going to share God's love and share God's joy in the world this week, and that makes me really excited. So if you will pray with me, please. Father, you are good. You are a good and perfect Father to us. You know what we need, even when we don't know it. 
You know when we need to be disciplined. You know when we need grace. You know when we just need a smile. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank, thank you that you're, um, you're perfect and you're wise beyond all understanding. And you've chosen to make yourself known to us. And you've chosen to give us a way to love you and to have good and beautiful lives with other people who love you. It's in your name we pray, God.